Hi, I'm Keith McMinn. Welcome to this episode of Doxology Matters Podcast. We are hosting this here at Bethel Baptist Church in Yorktown, Virginia. I have the joy to be uh, the worship pastor here at Bethel. We seek to have a deep conversation about God's Word as we praise Him in this podcast. We hope that you will find encouragement today as you listen, maybe on the way to work or on the way home or as you travel. We pray that Jesus will be glorified and you'll be encouraged. Today I'm super excited to have a friend, a great brother, uh, Pastor Nathan Cecil from Fox Hill, all the way over in Hampton, Fox Hill Baptist Church, right? Fox Hill Road. Fox Hill Road Baptist Church, okay. We're a Baptist church on Fox Hill Road, so okay. don't, don't, don't miss that. <laughs> How long have you been at the church? Uh, so we have, I just finished my third year, so in January of 2017, I started there. Well, does it feel like three years have gone no, by? No, it's got, well, in some ways it does, but for the most part, it's it's flown by. It's got really fast. Now, this is your first senior pastor position post, right? That's right. So before I was in, um, I was in Surrey County at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church, and I served there as an associate for four and a half years um, before I was called to be the senior pastor here. So, and yeah, both, both churches have been a great source of encouragement, and I've loved being their pastor. Oh, praise God. Now, tell me about your education background. Where did you do your undergrad? Yeah, so I, I went to Mount Vernon Elementary right down the street. Oh, no, wow. I, so no, I actually, I grew That's up. That's way back. <laughs> I, I grew up right down the street from from this church. Um, so went to Tab High School, went right to Christopher Newport, graduated in 07. I didn't know that. Yeah. And then right after CNU, I went, I moved out to Louisville, Kentucky, I went to Southern Seminary, got an MDiv there. I did a year-long internship at a local church out there. What uh, church was that? It's uh, Clifton Baptist Church. Oh, yeah, you were Clifton. Yeah, yeah, yeah with Chip. Chip Stair, yeah. Um, so I was there, and then at the end of that internship, kind of the, the hope of doing that internship really was to get um, confirmation, so an external call. So so at Clifton, there's a great um, team of godly men that that I really trusted and respected, and so I knew if I'm if I'm launching into full time vocational ministry, having having their affirmation would be really helpful for me. And so did the internship. They were um, nothing but encouraging, and so started looking for uh, positions. Really, we weren't focusing back here, but the Lord led us in His sovereign will to Surrey County and. My wife and I went from Louisville, Kentucky, where we could walk across the street to the Kroger, uh, to Surrey County, where we had to literally ride a ship or a boat, a ferry across to go to the store. So, I mean, it was it was a, a drastic change, um, but we are so thankful for that time there. Um, and so, and it was actually while I was at um, Bacon's Castle, I started a doctor of ministry at Southern Seminary. Okay. Um, and so then I transitioned to Fox Hill, and I finished uh, the the Doctor of Ministry degree at Fox Hill, um, I guess it was a year and a half ago. Oh, well. So, yeah. So you're officially graduated? I'm done, yep. What was your uh, focus for your DBN? So my, um, so it was a Doctor of Scripture. The, the project was titled um, Equipping Members of Fox Hill Road Baptist Church for Personal Bible Intake. And so the, the wow. kind of the two pronged approach was uh, so I, I had a, a sermon series on the the doctrine of scripture, um, so sufficiency, clarity, authority, necessity, inspiration, um, inerrancy. So so just sermon series on that, and then um, at that same time had a a class at night where we would just work through basic hermeneutic issues. Um, and so the whole goal was to say. Um, Christians are equipped and able to read the Scripture on their own, um, and so just trying to equip them, if you understand the nature of Scripture, that this is God actually uh, communicating with you through His Word. So if you understand the nature, this is not just another book, it is God-breathed um, for your good, and it's able to equip you for all that you need, if you understand the nature, but you also just have a few basic tools. It wasn't it wasn't rocket science, just some basic things, like understanding the, the storyline of the Bible, understanding some... Um, grammatical tools, um, genre stuff, just basic stuff. But my project was if, if, if they can understand nature of Scripture and how to study the Bible, um, then that will benefit them for the long term. And, and the hope was that they would then replicate it. Um, so, yeah, they, they, the, the project was a success. Um, so I increased their knowledge and comfortability with the Scriptures. 
Um, so, yeah. Wow. So did that produce a like a, a booklet or a program, a program, so to speak, but a, a resource for the church? Yeah. yeah, so I have, I mean, I'm happy to, I, I tell pastors all the time, I'll send you all of my stuff. I have a little booklet that I gave out to all the participants. That's like a, uh, a, I don't know how many months it is, but a study through the Gospel of Mark with kind of helping people implement the tools, and that's a little booklet form. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting because as I'm as I'm teaching those those things i mean almost weekly i'm like i have trouble reading the bible on my own how am i qualified to teach these people i'm not the expert and so it was as much a a study for me um and a and equipping for me and so people benefit from it and and i'm thankful for that um but yeah i can i'll send you if anyone wants email me i'll i'll send you my <laughs> my my whole project i'm happy to do that that'd be great well, we're really glad to have you um, today. Our topic today, if you're listening with us, is the sovereignty of God and what I'm calling everyday life. Uh, sovereignty of God in everyday life. So the many wonderful attributes of God, uh, love theology proper. Um, how would you define God's sovereignty? Yeah, so I have the simple way that I would define it is to say he's got the whole wide world in his hands. He's got the wind and the rain in his hands. He's got you and me, brother, in his hands. That's you know that's nursery or a church song we teach yeah. our kids. That I mean that's sovereignty. He's got the whole world in his hands. Um, uh, other definitions. Um, it, it his sovereignty has to do with God as the creator, and as the creator, he's the owner, the Lord. He's over all created things. And so his sovereignty is is just something that extends over all of his creation, and and we as his creatures are included. And so God's sovereignty, um, one theologian says, it's the exercise of his power over all his creation. And so it's it's a, it's his providence is a, another word that people use, but it's just God is in control. Is would be how I'd define sovereignty. So as you think about uh, key scriptures, you know that you can go too quickly for an attribute of God. I know there are many. What key scriptures would you would you say? Like, uh, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness therein. Um, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Which one? Yeah, so here's you? Keith is pulling them from his head, just so you guys know. Um, so I have a whole whole sheet of, of lists. But yeah, I mean, it's all over. Um, scripture is filled with whether it's um, he's owner of, of all things or, or his will is worked out. Um, so Isaiah 45, 7, um, the Lord declares, I form light and I create darkness. I make well-being and I create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. And so there's there's just this, I, I create, I form light and darkness. So there's this positive and negative. So it's all things um, are, are from the Lord. Uh, Daniel 4, um, none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Okay, so so this is him above creation. Uh, Psalm one fifteen three. Our God is in the heavens; He does all that He pleases. Yes. Uh, Proverbs sixteen. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Uh, one one great one in, in Matthew ten. So here's Jesus talking in Matthew ten. He says, "Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father?" Now it doesn't say apart from your Father's knowledge. Right? It says, apart from your Father. And so there's this, this it, sometimes it's easy to think of the sovereignty of God over these big events. But, but here Jesus says, the, the falling of a penny, a, a spare that's worth a penny, um, doesn't fall from the sky apart from God's will. And so this, this sovereignty extends to, to every area of life. I mean, I, I love um, Acts 17. So here's Paul. Um, in in the Areopagus, and he he says in in his his sermon, he says the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served mm-hmm. by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And here's here's the sovereignty, and he made from one man every nation of mankind. And I think every member of every nation of mankind is included that to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. And so th- this 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 picture that's painted is that God 
God carries out his will. Nothing can stop him. Nothing prevents his will from being carried out. And sovereignty is part of his character. Like you said, it is an attribute. If if God isn't sovereign, in this sense, I would say that God isn't God. Um, mm. But but I, I think Scripture lays it out in verses. I, I have a handful of, of stories from Scripture that I think paint, um, if, if that'd be helpful to share, because, because we do have the, the verses, but... But when it comes to stories, so when you see it, because verses are, are they can be abstract. But when you look at um, individual lives and, and the events of their lives being ordered by God, and Scripture saying this is God's will, I think that gives power, or at least gives gives um, validation to God actually is sovereign, not over just these big events, but over every single human life. It is so encouraging to hear uh, you recite Scripture about the sovereignty of God, that he is a majestic, righteous, big, uh, triune God. It is just encouraging to hear that. Um, I can't imagine, you know, I was going to talk to you about the open theist view, yeah. but to uh, have a, a theological uh, point of view that God is not sovereign, that he is not connected to the details of our life, would be scary. And yeah. uh we would not be prone to trust somebody yeah. that's not uh, holding all things together. Yeah. Colossians 1, 50. Yeah. Uh, he holds all things together. Uh, any thoughts you would have about that? Yeah. Uh, no, I think I think that's right. I think sovereignty, it's not a, a theological issue only. I mean, it is a theological issue, but it is very practical. Yes. Um, and, and I do think, I think that sometimes um, those who hold to a high view of God's sovereignty— um, are rightly accused of being insensitive, and so I want to. I want to be. I mean, as a shepherd, I I hold to God's sovereignty in all things, but I also I shepherd people in such a way that I recognize that the the sovereignty of God is not though it's the true answer to every situation. That's not always the best way to comfort or shepherd, and so suffering is real and is exists and 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 it's. I want to have a, a a sensitivity, a pastoral heart that can say, okay, I know God is in control, but for me to minister to you right now, I'm not going to say, hey, don't worry about it. God's sovereign, and that's why this happened. That, right. That's not it's not helpful. And so I just want to be sensitive and recognize there are there are some some severe sufferings here. But to your point, in the midst of severe suffering. Right. So in the in the midst, um, you don't want to think about God's sovereignty. So um, there, there's actually Joseph Sitzer is a, a, a pastor. He's a professor that wrote a book called a, a, a Disguised Grace, and he talks about. And so he was on a on a on a trip. He had his his mother, his wife, and his three kids in a in a minivan. They had gone to some Indian reservation there in the Midwest, and they leave at night and they're, they're coming home. Um, and, and a drunk driver goes across the, the interstate, hits him head on, um, and his mother and his wife and his three-year-old daughter are all instantly killed. And so this is tragic. And so it's a great book. I mean, he wrestles through and, and talks and teaches us who haven't gone through that type of suffering. Um, but, but there's one part that he talks about as he, as he reflected on it. First of all, in the, in the immediate, he, he ignored thinking about God's sovereignty because he knew his believing in God's sovereignty meant that that God could have stopped it and didn't. And so I get like in the midst of suffering, you don't want to go right there. But what he also said, which I thought was really telling, he said, if if all that it was was mere random occurrences, that was worse. Because if God isn't in control, then we're all, anything could happen at any time, and there's no reason, there's no there's no hope. And so it's it isn't random. Right, God, and 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 its time will often give us eyes to see. Well, why would this happen? In Job's case, I don't think he ever knew why, and yeah. and we may never know. Yeah, That's for a, us, we may never know. We may never know. But it it isn't random. And what what the open theist has is a a foundationless hope. Um, lots of issues that that there. But yeah, so the open theist who says, well, God, God is not involved. He doesn't know what's going to happen. Um, that I think that misunderstands God's character, and I mean the other thing, and I think you you mentioned this, but if God isn't in control, can He make and keep a promise? And He can't, right? right? If if He's dependent on human activity and He's responding to to what His creatures do, I mean, there's no hope. I mean, as so as a Christian, 
right? My hope some days, some seasons, I'm going to finish the race that I started because God promised that he's going to finish it in me. He's given me his spirit, who's the guarantee of my inheritance, the, the down payment. So on my worst days, there's hope because God's made a promise and he's going to keep it. If, if God can't keep that, I don't have hope as a Christian to finish my race. It's like, well, I tried. Might as well, might as well uh-huh. stop. Um, so yeah, God, God can make promises and can keep them because he's sovereign. Yeah, praise yeah. God. That makes uh, very strong logical sense. Uh, if you're new to the concept of open theism, uh, Bruce Ware, professor at Southern Seminary, wrote a book. It's uh, got a purplish cover. I think it's God's... Their God is too small. Or yeah, your God or God's lesser small. glory. Oh, God's lesser glory. Okay. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. Um, yeah, I've, I've never held to that view. Uh, that's was well, concisely, I think, of that view as God kind of spun up the world and he spun it around and then let it go, and then he stands off distant. But to me, that's that's not the God of the Bible. Yeah, and and just so if you're new to this, there are and and I remember reading passages. So that they'll they'll go to passages like in um, Genesis six where God has created Adam and Eve, but the fall has happened, and then there's just massive evil has spread. And and Genesis six says that God regretted that he made the that he made man. Or in Exodus thirty two when Moses is up on the mountain with with the Lord, and and the Israelites are down making the golden calf. And the Lord says, I'm going to wipe them out, and I'm going to start over with you, Moses. Moses says, don't remember your promise. What are the other nations going to think? And so it says the Lord relented from destroying them. Or or in Jonah, when when God says, I'm going to destroy the Ninevites, they repent, and it says he, he relented of the disaster. And so the open theist says, well, look, God is changing his mind. So they say he's responding. He didn't know what was going to happen, but when he sees it, then he responds. Um, and so so they do have, th- so those verses, okay, if, if you hear someone explaining it that way, it's like, oh, yeah, well, how do we think of it? Um, and so we would simply say, God is not human. And so we have authors of Scripture who are conveying God's emotional reactions with with human terms. And so it, when, when, when it says that God repented or God relented or he regretted, it doesn't mean that he did so because he didn't know or he made the wrong choice, right? God is not human. And so so they're just, these authors are giving God human qualities so that we understand that he was grieved that at, at the state of man or whatever the, the case may be. Um, but we don't say, look, God changed mm. and he didn't mean to do what he did. Yeah, what well, is scripture? I am the Lord and I change not. Yeah. yeah. Um, what does, um, I know there's the medical aspect of having anxiety, which is in the, can be very physical, like depression, but the spiritual, emotional anxiety, there is a spiritual aspect to that. What does anxiety really say about, um, what does it reveal about our belief or lack of belief in God's sovereign control over our life? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I certainly would, would say there, there can be and often is a spiritual, um, side to anxiety, I also would say um, anxiety can be helped by a good diet and exercise and sleep. And so, so we want to um, just be careful because I remember, you know, growing up in a the biblical counseling movement, thinking, "Hey, just just take this Bible verse and go home, and you'll be better." Um, that's overly simplistic, but yes. but I do, I do. There is, I mean, um, anxiety is is a tough thing. Um, and I, and I do think that God, through His Word, is able to remedy um, anxiety in ways um, that enable us to to function. I mean, anxiety it, it it renders us paralyzed. It can just you're afraid to do anything, or you can't sleep, and and so it just compounds and compounds. Um, and so, yeah, I, I certainly think that the sovereignty of God. I mean. I remember a seminary professor talking um, in biblical counseling, saying, "Read books that talk about the nature of God. Just, just the find the things that that stretch your mind about who God is, that make you think big thoughts." Um, and and I do, I think that that as we grow in our understanding and our love for God, um, we are able to to view lives differently. I mean, I think, and again, I don't want to be oversimplistic, but but a lot of anxiety comes from situations or relationships or things in our life that are just magnified and we lose sight of God. And so a corrective would be, let, let's recalibrate, let's reconfigure, let's fix our a, our gaze. Um, That's the key statement yeah, right there, yeah. fixing our gaze. Yeah. I've 
Uh, I've known the struggle of anxiety in my life and prayed. Uh, Psalm 46 has been my biggest prayer. Mm. He is our refuge, strength, very present help in time of trouble. And I've thought about God's attributes. And even sometimes on a Sunday morning, I'll have this like rush of anxiety that's just kind of out of nowhere. But as soon as I start singing God's praise and songs about mm. His character, that anxiety just tends to, in my heart, dissipate away. Mm. Now, I'm on, I have the position that there are, uh, just like you can have something with your liver, you can have something with your brain that you might need medication yeah. or whatnot, and that's okay. You know, right. Some people draw hard lines on that, and uh, sometimes it's not as grace-filled as I'd like right. it to be. <laughs> but um, having a healthy view of God's sovereign control is... Uh, it's a wonderful thing. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Um, how does assurance, uh, maybe a, um, I'm ask this question, as you're a parent, how does believing in a sovereign triune God help you as you care for your kids that are navigating life? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, yeah. That's, I know this is something that you've thought about. Right. Yeah. So we have, we have four four young children, all age seven and under. Um, and so this is, yeah, it's it's crazy to think that my wife and I are responsible for the souls of four humans. Um, and God's sovereignty is what tells me, Nathan, I've given them to you. You are the right father for these four children. Um, because if it weren't for God's sovereignty, I'd say, oh, they, they got the, the raw end of the deal. Um, but God's sovereignty enables me to trust, okay, I am, I'm, I'm in this position. God has placed this person um, at this time, in this place, in this family. Um, and so I, I believe it's intentional that God has played. I don't think it's, it's random. I don't think right. that we could have had a different child or, or a different um, daughter. I, I think I have Calvin and Susanna and Bennett and Jane because God ordained before the foundation of the world that I would have and be the father of Calvin and Susanna and Bennett and Jane. And I'll be their father until the Lord sees fit that I'm not their father, whether he takes me or takes them or he returns, whatever the case may be. I mean, so his sovereignty establishes me as as their father if I think I'm I'm not qualified. That's not my call to make, right? God put me um, as their father. He thankfully gave me a wife that, um, yeah, she is a blessing to them, um, and she helps. She keeps our family running. Um, she's the the foundation of our family, the the backbone. So I'm thankful that that we are both in charge of our our, our kids, or at least stewards of our kids. Um, so, so God's sovereignty, and I remember um, you talk about God's sovereignty with your kids yeah. on their level. Yeah, um, yeah, we always we we try to. Um, I'm trying to think of a, a good example. Um, As you're thinking, I thought about that book, another book actually by Bruce Ware, "Big Truths mm, for Little Hearts." Yeah, yeah, and and I think it's funny because sovereignty is something that. Um, I find that that the the Christian, the normal Christian, everyday Christian, believes God's sovereign. It's that when you start going into the depths of the the theological implications, that people are saying, "Well, no, I don't believe it." But I mean, at, at a very basic level, everyone believes God's sovereign. So, kids, you say, "Hey," or at least they want God, to, right? Right. So, yeah, like so in J.I. Packer in um, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God, he says, "You pray because you believe God's sovereign." <laughs> and so, if you're if you're a Christian who doesn't pray because you don't believe God's sovereign, well, that's consistent. But if you say, "Well, God's not sovereign over over human decisions," well. How do you pray for the salvation of your children? Do you say, Lord, um, act in such a way that you restrain their free will or, or manipulate their will or do something so that they might decide to find? And you say, God, save them because God can save them because he's sovereign. And so when talking with kids, I think that's part of, they, they get it. He's got the whole world in his hands. God is big and strong and mighty. There's nothing that God cannot do. Um, I mean, we ask little questions about, um, who made you, right? These are catechism questions. And so these are all, I mean, we want them to live in a world that they know God made. And so God made them, God made their world. Um, and there, there's even, um, 
you know, think about praying in public as a family. Um, when we sit down at a restaurant, or even at home, and we've got we've gone to Kroger or Harris Teeter, and we've gotten some food. Um, in our culture, it's easy to miss that God is the source of our food. So we're not an agricultural culture where we're like, oh yeah, we've been out working, and these are the green beans, and this is the corn that we just brought in. And, and so a family sitting around the table would say, thank you, God, for for growing this in our fields. We we can miss that, but but just pausing and saying. So we may have gotten it from Harris Teeter, we may we may have bought it, got it out of the freezer and put it in the oven. But but this is still a good gift from God, um, and He's provided us. And so we're going to receive this food with thankfulness. Um, and so we we just want them to to live a a, a in a world where they know God um, is in control. And and they it's it's encouraging when they say, Hey, we need to pray for this person, or we need to pray for that person. Um, because they're 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 getting it. Okay, God God can heal Miss So and So, or Granny's back. Let's pray for her back. Um, so yeah, we we try and give give our kids a view of of God's sovereignty that He's in control. Yeah, I thought of uh, James one, uh, where you were sharing every good and perfect gift is from above. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I mean, when I I love, it's easy when you tuck your kids into bed, like our our daughter. When we're frustrated, we're like, okay, you guys are in trouble. You're going to bed. She'll say, no books? And we'll say, no, no books tonight. And then she'll always say, not even praying for me? <laughs> and we're always like, no, we're going to pray for you. Of course we're going to pray for you. But when when I'm able to, it's easy to fall into the same, you know, give give Susanna a good night's sleep, help her to rest. Thank you yes. for, um, you know, giving us this day. We pray for tomorrow or, or little things. But um, I, I always try and make it a point to say, God, thank you for putting Susanna in my family. Thank you for giving her to to her mom and I that we might care for her and love her. And we thank you for the blessing she is to our family. Um, just so that she grows up knowing God put me in this family and, and it's right that I'm part of this family. Whoa. Um, that's fantastic. Yeah. So now, now she, I don't have any teenagers. And so maybe some people listening are like, oh yeah, that, that works while they're young. I don't know, but... But we we want them to to know that that they're part of our family, and we're going to love them um, regardless. It's easy um, to complain. We struggle with that um, in different degrees. One another social media is a picture of mm. people being critical. Um, yeah, we can easily wish things were different, like maybe where we live or where we work. Uh, what are we missing here, or are we missing anything? Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, social media has transformed kind of how we have to go about ministry. I mean, how we have to go about our Christian lives. I mean, it is... Brings yeah, on a host of problems. It is. Challenges. It is. There's, um, it is a challenge. Um, and so I, I think I think part of the problem, and this is, this is often said, but, but I don't think it can be said too much, but when when I'm interacting with people, and most of the time it's not even interacting, it's just I'm scrolling, I'm watching what they're saying, their pictures, what what from afar. I'm not even interacting with them. I'm just getting this view of who they are. But it's always a selective view. They're deciding how I see them. And and whether I realize it or not, I'm I'm comparing myself to them. Um I'm looking at at their happy family or I'm looking at their um, if I'm if I'm a stay-at-home mom, I'm looking at a a mom who works, and I'm saying, well, yeah, that'd be nice. And so I'm starting to to cultivate this discontentment. Uh-huh. Um, but and here's the thing, it's a false image that you're that that's being used to create discontentment in you. That's not the real world. I mean, I you know whenever I don't post on Instagram often, but I keep it real as pos- as as real as possible. So here's here's crying kids. Right. Yep. Our kids are are crying a lot. Here they're they're complaining. Or here's, um. But but so, so I think that's one thing is that we we're always comparing ourselves to others. But it's not the real others that we're comparing ourselves to. It's it's they decide. I mean, think about it, they decide what they post. Now, some people would say, yeah, you should use more wisdom in what you post. You shouldn't post as much. But my I I can only see the parts of them that they want me to see, um, and that's not helpful for me. Um, and, I, and I think this, you're always, and so my, my only experience is in ministry. Um, so as the pastor of a church, there's always the greener grass syndrome. And so I can look at a website or I can look at, at a, 
a church building or listen to a podcast and think, wow, it'd be nice to be at a church that that looked like that or was like that. Um, but again, God has not put me in another place. And so recognizing, and this, this is Acts, Acts 17, right? Let me read it again, right? He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. And so my lot has been cast. Um, my life started in 1985. It will end when the Lord decides that it's over. And I'm going to live in between that time. And I, I, I'm going to, to function and operate where he puts me. Um, if not, I'm going to keep looking outward and looking at, here's what I want to do. Here's what's next. And I'm going to miss. I mean, years are going to go by. And I say, what, what was I doing all those years? Um, and so it's... It's a challenge, and, and, I, and I assume that, that every profession has its own version of that struggle of seeing other people happier, um, but not even job. I mean, life, spouse, I mean, yeah, that, that's dangerous um, well, really, discontentment with, yeah. That saying, uh, the grass is green on the other side, it's just different grass. Yeah. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> right. know, it's got its problems in the yard, just like your yard. You just yeah. maybe don't see them you yeah. know, until you get there, and you're like, oh, I've got moles over here, too. Yeah, that's right. I think, you know, this is not our topic for the day, but thinking about why we struggle with discontentment or comparison with other people, we're just not acknowledging all the goodness that God has given us. You know, you have any thoughts about discontentment and comparison? Yeah. Mm. I mean, that, that, yeah, it's a tool of Satan. I mean, I mean, even just, just going back to, to Genesis 3, right? The lie of the serpent created a discontentment that wasn't there, right? God just told you you couldn't do that because he knew that if you did it, you would be like him. And so immediately there's this discontentment. Wait a minute. I could, I could be more like God. I'm already in his image, but I could be more like him. Oh, that's what I... And so, yeah, it is a tool of 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 the evil one um, to destroy the Christian. I think it could destroy the church. It could destroy, um, yeah. It's yeah. I mean, I mean, so it's like it, first First Thessalonians four. Um, I think it's four. Give thanks always, continually, yes. for this is God's will for you. Pray, yes. pray without ceasing. Rejoice always. Give thanks in all circumstances. I mean this. God's will for us is that we rejoice and give thanks. And so contentment is is what we're called to. Um, and so if, if we see something that is driving us continually to discontent, to grumbling, to complaining, well, that, that's something that, that's that's one of those cut off your hand if it causes you to sin or, or pluck out your eye. Which is really, you know, you think about contentment is, or being not content is really ridiculous yeah. in a lot of ways. I mean, it's just spiritually ridiculous because the, the spiritual blessings that we have in Jesus Christ Amen. are immense. And especially living in America, the physical blessings that we have. And, you know, we tend to be a people that want more and more. And <laughs> yeah, to not be content is... Uh, we have the riches of Jesus Christ. We Everything do. else is really but rubbish. Yeah, amen. That's right. Well, I, I had written um, Roman, Romans 8, 28. Yeah. Um, which... All things work together for good. Right, so yeah, so eight thirty two. sorry. So later down, so he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And so it's like... It's like, here's my son. This is the most costly thing I could ever give you, right? There's nothing of more value, nothing of more worth. I didn't spare him for you. And so that's my pledge that with him, there's nothing I won't give you. So I will with him graciously give you all things. Um, And then I was looking for it later in in Hebrews, be content with what you have um, for he has said, Never will I leave you or forsake you. And so he's not just saying, hey, be content with what you have. Look at the house, the roof over your head, the clothes, the food. That's not what he's telling you to be content with. He says, be content with what you have. By the way, what you have is he who has said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And so contentment is, I have God. What else do I need? Exactly right. Mm, That's a good word. He is kind, isn't he? He is so kind to us. He is. It's super encouraging, Nathan. Yeah. 
Um, how should we view our past in light of God's economy? You know, the people will think, well, I had that last year. Well, that, I'm glad that season's over. Um, I really wish I could relive that and not mm. go through that past year. And, you know, I remember when I was young, I used to think, well, you know, you had all these different experiences or maybe you had a little girlfriend here, you know, and you think, I wish I could have just skipped that. But God uses all things to make us more into the image of his son. And do you have any thoughts about our past with God's economy? Yeah, I I mean, I think sovereignty. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you can't go back. I mean, that, that's one thing you can't you can't redo. Um, and so, in light of, I mean, in light of failures. And so, I, I remember, you know, parents who have grown kids, and they say, "I messed up my kids. We weren't in the church. I didn't teach them to know God." Um, and they just they 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 beat themselves up, um, feeling guilty. And and you can't you can't go back. Um, and so recognizing, so, so where you are now, so what does faithfulness look like now? Um, and so going to your kids and acknowledging, repenting, apologizing to them, humbly saying, I'm sorry. Um, so, so you can't go back. Um, and yeah, and I think recognizing, as, and, and I think time is, the, is the, the number one way that this happens, but... I think the farther away you get from that difficulty or from that time, I, I think you're shaped by that. And, and so these scars do have a shaping or formative effect that you, you so, so you are a different person than you would have been without, say, whatever you're regretting or, or a past mistake. Um, and so yeah, while, while you're in the midst of it, there isn't, doesn't make it easier I think the sovereignty of God is something that says this isn't wasted. Right. Um, yeah. Right. It's, so behind the frowning providence, he hides his smiling face. Right. That's that's a it's, great um, sovereign grace. God, God moves, moves in a mysterious way right. by Bob Coughlin. His wonders to perform. Yeah. Hmm. That's a beautiful, beautiful song. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think about um, well, the the other the other songs are a great source of. Um, encouragement in terms of God's sovereignty in the old hymns, but one that that I it is well, um, just just the the two extremes. So when peace like a river attends my way, right? so this is good. When peace like a river is coming and, and everything's good, but the other one, when when sorrows like sea billows roll, and so here is both extremes. Whether it's good or bad, Thou hast taught me to say it is well. Right, that's that's the and if you read about the story of that that guy who wrote it as well, I mean he he was in the midst of, of tragic loss, um, but he was able to say, and I would say because of his conviction in God, of God's sovereignty that that it is well, and that that's straight out of Job, right? That wasn't that wasn't him, um, it didn't originate with him, but that's Job. The Lord gives and He takes away, and that that's what's fascinating too when when you talk about sovereignty is his wife is saying, "Well, curse God," he says, "Will, will we?" Not should we not also receive good and bad from his hand? And so, if you read Job one, it, it's not God who is the the it, it's it's Satan himself who's going and 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 wreaking havoc. Yet Job, as he interprets it, he says God has given and God has taken away, and so he recognizes yes, maybe God was wasn't the secondary cause. Maybe there were other causes, but God is the cause of this loss. Um, and so Job is a great for, for people suffering in the midst of um, loss and questions. I mean, the book of Job is, has been a companion for many, many Christians, especially hold on to you get to those last few chapters, because that's where, that's where you're just, you're, you're, you sit and you say, I have spoken of things I did not know. <laughs> you are God. I am not. Yes. I'm going to be quiet next time. Oh, that, just that one verse, you are God and I am not. I mean that would be helpful for us to read every single yeah, day. Yeah, um, people quote Jeremiah twenty nine eleven a lot. Um, yeah. How how can we know God's will for our life, and does He have a plan for us? I mean, Scripture yeah. says He does. Yeah. How does um, Jane Doe discern that? Right, that's a great question, and I, I think in one sense I'm tempted to say you can't know God's will, in the sense that now let me let me work that out. Um, 
just because God has a plan for life and, and God has a will for life does not necessarily mean that he's required to show it to you. Right? So, so that's part of what makes God, God, and us not. And so in one sense, we can't know God's will. And that's, that's who, we, as humans, we can't. And that's fine because we, we know God and we can trust God. Um, so follow one hand, his word. Yeah, yeah, you can't know it in, in that sense. But, but then, I mean, I would, I would say, um, find, and again, find a, a book, if, if you're wrestling with this, Bruce Waltke wrote a book called Finding God's Will, and the subtitle, which, I mean, tells what he thinks about it, A Pagan Notion. And so he talks about this this idea. Now, this isn't everyone who asks the question, "What's God's will for my life?" But but sometimes the assumption is that God's will is some some hidden thing that I can, by this supernatural activity, I can I can discover it. He's like, that's that's the pagan view of of knowing the divine mind. Like, let's let's do this divination. Let's call up and uh, these spirits and find out what. It, and so so like he, a treasure hunt. is saying, yeah, it's not a treasure hunt. Um, and so. I mean, I'll say, so, so it doesn't, so the New Testament doesn't ever say, hey, you need to go know the specific will, find out God's specific will for your life, um, which is a lot of times what we, what we mean. When some people ask me what's God's will, I'll often say, hey, um, are you suffering for doing good? If you are, you're, you're doing God's will, because First Peter 3 says, if you suffer for doing good, that's God's will for you, or I'll say... Um, First Thessalonians 5, we mentioned this, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Okay, so there's two cases where, where the New Testament explicitly says, here's God's will for you. The other one that is, that is really helpful, um, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, and he continues, that you abstain from sexual immorality. And so I can, I can say, a, a young guy comes to me, hey, what's God's will for my life? abstain from sexual morality. That, that, without question, that is God's will for you. Um, but that's not normally, like, those aren't the categories that we're normally thinking of when we say, hey, what God, what's God's will? We want to know um, what job should I take? Who should I marry? Um, how do I handle this situation um, at our church? Sometimes should I put my parents in a nursing home, right? What nursing home should, should we go to? Um, and so we often, we want to open our Bibles and say, today is Friday, uh, January 17th. Um, tell me what to do today. And that we just, we don't get that. Um, and so I think ways that I would say you want to know God's will. So don't hear me say you can't know it. So just give up. I do think we can, we can, we can know if we're in God's will, if we're, um, honoring God with our lives and our decisions. And so, um, something like spending time in his word, you just mentioned, I mean, I I think, and and it, it was Augustine who said, um, love God and do what you want. And so sometimes I'll say that, but his, his assumption is that the person who is who's close to God, who's pursuing their relationship with Him, who's loving Him, you, you're going to know what's pleasing to Him right. because the assumption is you, you're you're communing with Him. Yeah. Um, and so I think that time in the Word. I also think another big way for us to know, for Jane Doe in your example, to know God's will for her life is to spend time with God's people. Yes. Um, and so. Those people that know her well, whether it's parents or grandparents or friends, that know her well and are going to tell her the truth. Um, people, counselors, there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. And I, I think God's, God's people that he has sovereignly placed in your life um, are great sources or a great means of discerning his will. So if everyone is telling you, don't marry this guy, you probably shouldn't marry him. Um and, and yeah, and, and godly people, that, that's the, the key. I mean, I think now in our social media world, there's, there's a lot of people who say, oh, you just do you, just do what you want, and, and we'll just ear ticklers, right? Just, yeah, that sounds good. Oh, you need to be so mad at them. That is so wrong what they did. Um, and, and that's not helpful. Um, so real people who are involved in your life, who know you, godly, mature Christians, um, I think are a great way to know God's will. And then the last thing that I, I would mention is God's providence. I mean, I think that's a way to di- discern God's will for, for your life, to recognize, okay, I, here's where I am, here's some circumstances. I mean, Paul talks about pray for an open door of ministry. I think that's a providential circumstance. He's saying, hey, ask God to make it clear or, or to enable a way for us to go to minister over there. Um, so it's like if you see a house, your house hunting, and you're like, this is God's will for us to buy this house. 
if it's sold before you put an offer on it, you don't say, no, 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 it's wrong. It's God's will. You don't, like, you don't just go into this crazy person trying to, to undermine. You say, okay, God's providence for whatever reason. We don't, we're not going to buy that house. Um, and so looking at providence, this is who I am. This is how God made me. Here's my desires. Um, whatever the, whatever decision you're looking for, um, considering his providence and how he's ordered things. Um, yeah. So encouraging to talk to you. Uh, this could be a three-part series that yeah. <laughs> we could do. You're definitely going to be asked to come back on the podcast. Uh, enjoy yeah, well, talking with notes. you. Yeah, <laughs> keep your notes. Uh, ask you a lot more questions. And yeah. what would you say to somebody that um, maybe is thinking about studying God in a in a deep way? What? How would you encourage them to mm. go down to the depths of studying God's yeah. character? Yeah, well, so at first I'd say go to the scriptures. I mean, I'd say spend time in, in the scriptures um, because any theological study that you're going to do, any reading you're going to do that's outside of the Bible, its goal or its end must be to know God more and so if I get young guys who want to read deep theology, I'm, I'm going to make sure that they want to do it for the right reason. Um, so, so spend time in the Word um, where God has revealed Himself. Uh, what books would you recommend? Yeah, so you mean books of the Bible? Uh, books oh, outside the Scriptures. Okay, outside the Scriptures. Um, so there's one. So, so A.W. Tozer, Knowledge of the Holy, oh, is yes. just a classic, and they're short, readable chapters. Um, Jen Wilkin has a book called None Like Him. Oh. That's... I think it's six chapters where, and it's, so she, the first book is none like him. I don't know what the second one is, but the first book she talks about God's incommunicable attributes, the so ways that God's yeah. different. Her second book, which I haven't read, I can't comment on that. It's ways that God is like us, but that's, again, that's readable. But the one that, that I, I just, I love a, a guy named Matt Barrett, who's a professor out at Midwestern Seminary, um, just wrote a book. I think Baker put it out called None Like Him the undomesticated attributes of God. And so he, I mean, it's fat. I, I loved it. And it, it's, it's at a level that, that anyone can read. I mean, you can pick it up, but what he does is he takes the, these categories of classic theism and he has what he calls it the A team, which is Augustine and Anselm and um, uh, Aquinas. And he, he traces kind of their thoughts on these classical attributes. So his infinity, his immutability, um, his, um, gosh, what are, I mean, they're, they're, all of them are there. And so that, wow. that's a great we'll check that book out. and it's very readable. Um, I mean, I, I'd say, yeah, I have lots of books. You can, you can contact me and I'll send you a list, but those are, those are all those really are some great resources. Some of those volumes I'm not familiar with. Yeah. Evangelism, Sovereignty of God. Yeah. I'd knowing say, God yeah, by J.L. Piper. That's right. Pleasures of God by John yeah. Piper. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on this episode. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, appreciate it. If you've enjoyed and been encouraged by this uh, podcast, we hope you'll check us out on the Apple Podcasts or Spotify or go to our website, bbcyorktown.org. We'd love to have you join the conversation, grow in the likeness of Jesus Christ as we live to glorify Him.